This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm here with the Ringers, Rob Mahoney, to go around the league to discuss the new NBA champions, the Denver Nuggets, and a bunch of other stuff happening around the league. Rob, how you doing, man? You're back home after a long road trip in Denver and Miami. Man, it's been a run, but an incredible one to see in person. Incredible to see the Denver Nuggets climb their way to the mountaintop. I'm ready to break it all down. Let's do it. So the Nuggets went 16-4 and four on their way to the finals. Jokic wins finals MVP in the playoffs over 20 games. He averages 30 points, 13.5 rebounds, 9.5 assists. He's now one of 15 players in NBA history with at least three regular season and finals MVPs combined. Rob, with Denver winning in the fashion that they did 16-4 and four in the postseason, Jokic domination, a deep team, have we at this point entered the Nikola Jokic era moving forward where Denver is the team that everybody is going to have to get through in the West to have a chance to win the finals? It really feels that way. I think the combination of just how clinical it was for the Nuggets offense, how easily they deconstructed every team in their path, and Jokic is a huge part of that, but also the age of their core. You know, Jokic is the oldest of their four core guys, and he's just 28. So the idea that Michael Porter Jr. could come back and be even better, that Jamal Murray could come back and be even better, on top of the fact that you already have the best player in the world, there's a lot for every other team in the West to, to match up with and to counter, and that's going to be the interesting part. Now that all those teams know what Denver can do, offensively, defensively, the way they're going to respond in big moments, how incredible they can be over the course of an entire playoff run. How are they going to look to, to bolster their own rosters to match up with Jokic, to match up with Murray, to try to better you know, condition themselves for the fact that we may be living in a Denver Nuggets age? Do you think the the way to counter Denver isn't as much maybe have a matching size with size? Because we see AD, one of the best defenders in the entire planet, he's no match for Jokic. They have Rui Hachimura on him, LeBron on him. They're switching on him in the West Finals. Bam Adebayo, who's an outstanding defender in his own right. I mean, he's getting just pummeled by Jokic, backing him down from the perimeter to get in interior positioning. And is the actual solution possibly more like what the Warriors are and who, who they could potentially be again, where it's that perimeter style. The Suns take them to six with Devin Booker having big games, Kevin Durant having big games. It, do you think like philosophy wise that for teams, it's more about, you know, how can we beat this team with perimeter shooting rather than, you know, slowing this guy down that just can't be contained at all? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, we didn't really see a lot of Nikola Jokic just going full-on bully ball, even against smaller teams. You know, he's They want to run their offense. They want to get everybody involved. He will do that if necessary. And we saw him just walk Bam Adebayo to the rim on, on a bunch of occasions in the NBA Finals. An all-NBA level defender in Bam Adebayo, to, to your point about, like, maybe the answer is finding ways to, you know, maybe put size elsewhere on the floor to get a composite height that's bigger than what the Heat could put out there. But ultimately, I'm, I'm with you that the best way to challenge Jokic is you need speed on the perimeter, shooting on the perimeter. You need guards who are going to be threats from three and can get all the way to the rim and scamper by him because we've seen the methodical Jimmy Butler, even the even the Kevin Durant and Devin Booker types, if you're if you operate at a different speed and are trying to like get to your mid-range looks or pump fake him off the floor, he can handle that. What he might not be able to handle quite as well is pure speed coming off of a player who's also a pull-up threat. And so we'll see if Denver can compete with that stuff in the future. I suspect they will, just based on their their overall defensive performance in these playoffs. But it might give them more of a run for their money than we're able to see any team give them in the field this year. Totally. I mean, I think we're on the same page there. The tough part is for those some of those other teams is even though you might have that perimeter guy like this, the Warriors could reload and and have a better roster around Stephen Curry. A team could trade for Damian Lillard and they have better pieces. But ultimately, so does Denver. I mean, in your story, you wrote on the ringer dot com, you know, it was remarked. I believe it was Jeff Green who said this team had time to develop. And uh, Stan Kroenke, their owner, said, well, this team could be getting better. When we look at the age of these young guys, you were in the locker room when he said that. And I think that's true. Michael Porter Jr. didn't even have a great finals. I mean, he and he did in other ways besides scoring, but scoring is what he's best at. And he didn't even pr- produce there. Jamal Murray is still a young player. Aaron Gordon, only 27. And I think for this Denver roster, do you think back to that game four where they have a stretch without Jokic or in the in the Western Conference Finals when they have a stretch with Jokic and foul trouble, the Lakers can't build a lead? That's because this roster, the seven, eight-man rotation that Michael Malone was using is deep. They're strong. They can play without Joker. So I think for Denver at this point, now they have 37 and 40 in the upcoming draft next week. Um, they have an opportunity here to continue to build out this roster from within with their young guys, Christian Brown and other young guys on the roster, but also in the upcoming draft, I don't think, you know, Denver's necessarily done getting better either. No, and they're a team that just on a franchise level has shown they can find great picks even late in the draft and either use those players and develop those players to become a part of their core or include them in some of these critical trades that got them Aaron Gordon, that got them Contavious Caldwell-Pope, that got them, you know, Christian Brown, another a rookie who was able to make an impact in the NBA Finals. How often do we even see that? And so the idea that, you know, we can add Christian Brown to that group of young players who could conceivably get better. There are other young players on that roster who haven't even gotten a chance to play yet. And then these other draft picks who could be coming in the door potentially. So they're a model organization in a lot of different ways. Obviously, when you draft the best player in the world, Nikola Jokic, it primes you to look pretty good. But But I think from a developmental standpoint, from a scouting standpoint, the Denver Nuggets are a team that a lot of other, especially small market organizations can look to and say, that's kind of a blueprint for us. You know, we may not have Nikola Jokic, we may not even have Jamal Murray, but we can afford to find good players, to give them time to develop, to hire smart coaches, to give them time like Michael Malone had to find their way within the organization and create a bond with our guys and ultimately get somewhere meaningful, get somewhere that's you know not only winning a title, but winning a title on the exact terms that they set out to do because they believed in what they had. 
you mentioned in passing there, Rob, how Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world. Um, most people, including myself now, believe that at one point <laughs> during the season, I argued for Giannis, as you very well know, uh, with the NBA rankings. Uh, you updated that today with J. Kyle Mann and Michael Pina. Um, you, people can find that on the ringer.com, and you guys have a top 125. Still don't understand why Dylan Brooks is in there at 125. <laughs> Beats me. But Jamal Murray, he started the year, you wrote, at 47, which felt appropriate coming back from injury. We didn't know what level he'd be at, but now you guys have him at 16. Jamal Murray moving up to this point. I, I like, I think, you know, during the year when we were arguing, should it be Giannis or Jokic? Number one, I said to you, it's the playoffs when these big changes should be made about who becomes the best player in the world with Jamal Murray. It is the playoffs where you establish yourself as a true top 20 caliber guy. And this is now his second postseason where he's dominated. He did it in 2020 in the bubble atmosphere. And now he's doing it here in a quote unquote, normal playoff run. And he did it against some amazing defensive players throughout this entire run. I think it's well-deserved. If anything, I'd bump him up even slightly higher based off of everything we've seen. I mean, we had those arguments for sure. And he really, on our ranking, is now within a class of guards who are these are these are the stars of the league. These are these are the premier guards or guys who are kind of knocking on that door in a way that, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis Alexander, guys who are leading offenses for themselves. And that's where it gets so hard with Murray is understanding that he's such a great fit in Denver. He's such a perfect complement alongside Nikola Jokic. We're trying to look at these guys in kind of a value neutral context, as you know, and to like what is Jamal Murray relative to these other players as his own entity, independent of the Nuggets, independent of that offense? That's where it gets hard to separate these guys because we've only seen them together. But what we've seen from him, to your point about his playoff success, is a guy who shows up every time in the postseason, who over the course of this playoff run, 26-6-7 on 47-40-93 splits. Mm. That's a star. And it may yeah. be, maybe he's the best second guy in the NBA, the best like you know option B for any team that's out there right now. He's kind of put himself in that class. Who knows what he would be? and an offense unto himself. But what he's shown is that he has the capacity to augment other great players, to make guys like Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter all the way down to you know Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, make all those guys better. And that combination, the fact that he can do both of those things, an incredibly compelling player, a guy who's just indisputable now in terms of a playoff context, showed up in every way that the Nuggets needed him to. And Aaron Gordon up into the top 50 as well. Denver is the NBA Finals champions, and they look like a team that everybody's going to have to get through. When we get back, we'll be talking about some teams that are going to have to reload this offseason or try to get through Denver. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. I'm still here with Rob Mahoney. We're going to talk about some teams that are reloading this offseason to try to get back. We might as well start with the team that they beat in the finals, the Miami Heat. Rumors came out this week from the Athletics, Sham Sharania, and FanDuel TV Shams that Bradley Beal, if the Wizards decide to go a rebuild route, that he could be available this offseason and that the Wizards will work with him in his no-trade clause to send him to the destination that he prefers. Miami was cited as a team that could be on Beal's radar. 
Miami definitely needs another scorer. They need a big better than than Zeller coming off the bench, who was terrible uh, throughout their run. It felt like they were a minus anytime he was on the floor. But Beal, he'd be an upgrade over a Kyle Lowry, an upgrade over Tyler Hero, who, of course, they didn't have. But is Beal the, the right target, you think, Rob, considering some of the flaws in his game? I think there's other things they could use more. You know, they are a team that just, ha- they've had such a need, especially at the four, just like a little more size. And if you can get sh- like shot creation and shooting from that spot in a more a more consistent capacity than a Kevin Love type, that could be a, a real boon for them. But in terms of archetypes of players that might interest the Heat, you know, Brad Beal is a really interesting one. They do need that, like another, another ball handler, another score, another shot creator. But Bradley Beal is also a guy who can run a lot of the off-ball action that makes Miami so dangerous and so good. The idea that you think about what a Duncan Robinson handoff can be coming off of Bam out of bio, what would a Brad Be- Bradley Beal handoff look like? That could be a really dangerous combination when you have that balanced off of hypothetically, you know, you still have Jimmy Butler, you still have, as we're saying, Bam, you still have a host of role players, whether they're the names we know or guys we don't, who Miami has shown they can just kind of plug and play valuable role players, guys who can fit into their system really well. That could be a really dangerous team. I, I don't know that it's the perfect fit with Brad Beal, but it's one that could make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think with Beal, you're right on. I mean, some of the stuff that he does well for Washington for years now, especially when he was playing with John Wall, he was used more of it as an off-ball weapon than he has been the past four seasons. It's just for two years now. I mean, he was averaging 30-plus points per game. For two years, he has not been anywhere near that caliber of player who earned the Supermax contract that he ended up receiving. And I think for the Heat, you know, you probably have some type of concerns there about that or any other team with interest. But at the same time, you're not worried about what he's done with Washington, whether it's the, the highs or some of the lows. You're thinking about how he's going to operate within your own system. And I think you're right on. If you have Beal coming off those handoff actions, those screening actions that you see Duncan Robinson and Max Struess excelling in, I mean, Beal can do so much more off the dribble and he can do a little bit of playmaking as well. Granted, that's not his primary role. I'd prefer Damian Lillard if Miami's able to get him, but we don't even know if Dame's going to become available yet. Still a week to go from the draft. There's other teams that are going to have interest in Beal anyway. Um, I think the Sixers could make some sense for him. Tobias Harris, use his expiring contract to go get him. How about a team like the Knicks? Pair him in the backcourt with Jalen Brunson, maybe flip R.J. Barrett, or maybe you do something bigger and try to move Julius Randle. The Celtics, uh, they could be willing to move a combination of Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, or Derek White this offseason. They have Grant Williams, a restricted free agent. They'll try to sign and trade. Do any of those teams stand out to you as maybe an ideal fit for Bradley Beal if he is indeed on the move? I actually really like the Knicks fit. And, you know, we are tempted to just loop New York into all these conversations for stars (laughs) when they come up, understandably so, just given the size of that market, getting the appeal for some players and playing there. But just in basketball terms, they're a team that needs a little bit of juice. They were they were a very high level offense, especially in the regular season. But you want a little more to balance off of Jalen Brunson beyond like, let's be honest, some of like the come and go tendencies of Julius Randle, like they need a little bit more stability to that operation in terms of what they can execute offensively. And not only does Beal fit pretty well in what they're already doing in terms of a pure spacer, he can be effective in a way that they just haven't had in some of their supporting guys, but he just gives you the ability to build out your offense. You know, some of the playmaking you talked about having those avenues for a team that already has a very good point guard and a big and Randle who at his best can be versatile, can be a ball handler, can be a distributor, really you know when he's playing and kind of zoned in in that way 
that could be a really well-rounded team in a way that when you look at the East, yes, there's elite talent. Yes, there's some MVP-level players. There's some really high-level teams. But we saw this year with the Heat's run, there's an opening here. If, you, if you're a tough team that has options, that has flexibility, that can play some defense, that can, that can work the glass, there's an avenue here for you to make a deep run. And so for a team like New York, I think Beal would be a really appealing option. The Celtics are my favorite fit from those teams. And with them, I expect them to re-sign Jalen Brown to the Supermax this offseason. So they would have a, a massively inflated salary roster sheet if they were to get a Bradley Beal for just, let's just say, Brogdon and smart uh, some type of salary combination to get to the number necessary and whatever young players or picks a Peyton Pritchard in there. I just think if they can consolidate those guards into a guy who's more of a shot making presence, like you said, Beal on Miami, what does he do off screens? Well, what could Beal do when he's playing as the third wheel next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for Boston? I, I think he fits a lot. And, you know, thinking about like what Boston could do, this offseason, like whether it's a Beal or something else, they're going to try to get creative to improve this team. It made me think of what Jokic said after the game when they won the finals. You had the quote in your story where he said, you need to be bad, then you need to be good, then when you're good, you need to fail, and then when you fail, you're going to figure it out. Experience is something that is not what happened to you. It's what you're going to do with what happened to you. The difference between the Denver Nuggets and the Boston Celtics is the Celtics never sucked. Like they weren't bad. <laughs> That's true. With Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they were in the in the conference finals when those ki- guys were just kids when they were teenagers. So. That's the difference, but they have experienced different types of failure. And even though I have my hesitations with the upside of a Tatum and Brown core, I think they would have put up a better fight than the Heat did in the finals. And if they were to reload next season and get a Bradley Beal, um, they'll be they'll be right back there in that conversation as the best teams in the Eastern Conference with a chance to win the NBA Finals. Do you agree with the the Beal? target as a Beal as a target for the Celtics or are you kind of looking in a, in a different direction for them to take the next step I think he can make sense for them too and this is why Bradley Beal for years has been in so many trade discussions trade rumors trade conversations not just because you know the Wizards are a team who kind of need to pick a lane in terms of what their future of their organization is going to look like but Beal could make sense as a first option on some teams as a second or third option on other teams like th- the ability to step into any of those potential roles to be a piece that either transforms the heat or just puts the Celtics way over the top in terms of what his shot making could offer them. That's what makes him so valuable as a player. And so I like the idea of him in Boston. We've seen, you know, this team that's obviously very reliant on shooting threes could use another player like him who not only has that to his game, but can step in and be a mid-range presence, can get all the way to the rim when he works the pick and roll, who has that versatility, who has the ability to, to play pick and roll, to play in lots of different capacities, I think makes all the sense in the world for him. But really, I mean, he's just at a position where he can reconceptualize what his career is going to be. Is he going to be the first option wizard? Is he going to be the third option Celtic? Is he going to be somewhere in the middle for a team like Miami? We'll have to see kind of what Bradley Beal wants, because as you outlined, he has a lot of say in what team he ultimately ends up with. He's got the no trade clause. (laughs) He's got a big salary number, though. It's one of the largest salaries in all of the league. That no trade clause could carry to his new team as well. If he were to, to get traded, he could still have a no trade clause for his new team as well. So He's got a lot of power with that contract that he has. The Wizards are in an interesting position here where they're exploring trades to move up 
to two to three. They have their eyes on a Miller or a Scoot Henderson. So I think the Wizards are at least ex- seeing what the path looks like to go into a rebuild. Chris Stapps Porzingis has a player option for next season. Kyle Kuzma will be a free agent. Their three best players on the roster could all be potentially on the move. And I mean, I think they hired Winger as their general manager, who was one of the, the the most sought after assistant, you know, executives in the entire league. I don't think he takes that job without the go ahead to do whatever he feels is right for the future of the organization, which is different than what Tommy Shepard experienced under Ted Leonis with their past regime or Ernie Grunfeld for that matter, where it was all about being the playoffs every single year, no matter what it takes. Maybe now the Wizards are going to be a team that goes towards a rebuild. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. One team we have also heard for sure is has interest in moving up to the two or three spot in the draft is the New Orleans Pelicans. They're targeting Scoot Henderson. There's been reports from around the league, including from FanDuel TV, Sham Sharania, that their target is Scoot. The question is, are they going to be willing to put on the table a Brandon Ingram or a Zion Williamson in order to get to that spot with Charlotte at number two or Portland at number three? Rob, where do you stand with what the Pelicans should be doing here? Um, you're you're asked by David Griffin, hey, you got to make the call, Rob. What are you doing? Are you putting either of those guys on the table? I might be ducking Griff's call if he's if he's putting me on the spot <laughs> like that because this is honestly, in terms of the potential outcomes of Zion Williamson's career to this point, this might be the most excruciating one where he's shown you. He can be one of the best players in the world, especially one of the best offensive players in the world. And yet because of his availability, because of his habits, because of the fact that as an organization, you're just trying to move forward. You're trying to build some momentum to what you're doing year over year. You what have habits to, are those you're talking about, Rob? <laughs> you know, who, who could possibly say? Uh, but but let's, <laughs> let's even confine it to the fact that like just like rehabilitation, getting himself back on the court. You know, a lot of rumors, a lot of reports that he's just like, you know, not necessarily putting in the kind of work or the kind of consistency of work or the kind of consistency of habit that other great players do. And so the fact that you're in that position, you have to take those calls. You have to consider whether not only trading him for another player, but even trading him, as we're talking about now, to move up in the draft to select another young player and kind of reset the cycle, reset the timeline for your team. It's an awful place to be because you never want to be the executive who gave up on Zion Williamson if he goes on to have a Hall of Fame level career, which he obviously could if he were just able to be healthy for long enough. 
he could, unless this is the highest his value is for the rest of his entire career. When God. he doesn't work hard, he's out of shape. He's never proven he could stay healthy. He's busy in the ways that you don't want him to be. I just think for the Pelicans here, they're in such a tough spot with him because, as you said, he's been one of the best players in the world when he's actually been on the court on the offensive end of the floor. He's just magnificent. He's a shack like finisher at the rim. He can handle the ball. He can play make. He's a selfless teammate on the floor, but just how often is he actually active? We've barely seen Zion and Ingram play together. Like it's such a tough spot to be in. Uh, I, I, Cause I, on the flip side of it is if you're doing that trade for scoot Henderson, I like scoot a lot. You know, he's a downhill attacking point guard. He's got the it factor. You know, he's going to grind and work hard. He's got leadership qualities. There's like no question about that. That's part of why he's going to be the number two or three pick in the draft. But he is six foot two. He is a shaky shooter. He does get targeted on defense and his playmaking is good. Very good, but not, you know, out of this world. Great. You know, that type of level as a guard, as a smaller guard. So with Scoot, I think he's going to be a good point guard in the league for a long, long time. And there's definitely a chance he could be a great point guard, a multiple time all NBA guy, but he's not necessarily a guarantee. Um, and that's where like, I have fear from the New Orleans side of things and, or any other team for that matter, whether it's Washington, Indiana, they have multiple first round draft picks. The magic has six and 11. You'll see the Raptors in the coming week, perhaps be a team that could trade up as well. I, I just I just don't think the price is going to be at a point that I'd feel comfortable for the New Orleans side. But if you keep Zion and Ingram, like you just might be in the same position again next year where he's just not on the floor. It's a really hard spot to be. It's a very difficult one, especially when you're talking about you know potential draft picks. Because if you are going to trade one of those guys, you're praying for stability. You're praying that whoever you get in return can help create a floor for your team. They can be a springboard for wherever it is you hope to go, you know, annual playoff contention, hopefully competing for the title one day. So the idea of banking everything that you've been building with Zion, everything you hope that he could be on just another draft pick, it's a really tough ask, even if, you know, you can kind of see as you were, you know, walking through Scoot's game. Yes, he's not necessarily like the purest playmaker in the world or has the best vision of any prospect. But whether you're pairing him with Ingram or Zion, those are two guys who kind of have some point forward instincts who could who could complement him potentially, who could play alongside him. The issue is just like what that does to your timeline. If you're betting on a young player like Scoot Henderson and an injury risk like Zion Williamson, and if we're being honest, another injury risk like Brandon Ingram, who has not exactly been consistently healthy himself. The Pelicans have put themselves in in quite the difficult situation, and it's very easy to talk yourself into any of the talented players that they have, and yet the composite, the whole picture, it's really concerning, and it's really hard to understand even where they're going to be months from now, much less years from now. Part of me, part of me thinks just to you know put my flag down on one side. Part of me thinks he just get rid of Zion if you're, you're able done. to, you're out, and and just and just move on and build with Scoot Henderson and all this other young talent you have on your roster because it's not just Ingram, it's Trey Murphy who is this an outstanding finisher at the basket and cutter and mover without the ball and a, one of the best shooters in the entire league. You got all, Herb Jones, an awesome defender, versatile, hard worker, connective piece as a as a passer on offense. You just have so much young talent that I don't you might actually squander it by continuing down the Zion path. Um, so I, depending on what the deal is and what the surrounding pieces would be if, if with a deal for Charlotte or with Portland, 
I'd lean towards that for the Pelicans as a smaller market team with a guy making that type of money. But like, that's, that's, that's definitely not a deal that you feel totally confident. Rob, I guess we'll see what happens over this coming week. Appreciate you joining me on beyond the arc today. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. 